All right, well, good morning, church. Hope that you're doing well. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6. As you're turning there, I want to make you aware of, of two things uh, today. Uh, the first is that uh, if you're a member, uh, we are in the midst of a covenant member update right now. And uh, a lot of you have filled out those forms. It's just an email that you receive from us, uh, just making sure that you're still here, you're still committed. Uh, and so lots of you have already filled out that form. It takes about 10 seconds to do. Uh, but for those of you who have not filled out those forms or that form, uh, you'll be receiving uh, an email tomorrow from College Park Church, just a friendly reminder uh, to fill that out. And that is a phenomenal tool uh, for us to shepherd you better. Uh, on that form, there's, um, there's a, a, a spot for you to, to give prayer requests and even comments. And every prayer request, every uh, comment is read and it's prayed over. And, uh, and we're in the midst of, of kind of reaching out. And, uh, and so for those of you here at the Fishers campus, that goes to Fishers elders. And, uh, and, and we are just, um, it's just, a, it's a great tool for us to shepherd you. The second thing, um, we have a baptism service coming up at the end of April. And uh, very, very excited about that. And so if you're uh, here and you're wondering, what's my next step uh, as far as, okay, I came to faith in Christ and I never got baptized, or uh, maybe you're a new believer and you're wanting to get baptized, uh, the end of April uh, is our baptism service. And so uh, feel free to email me, and then we'll set up a meeting, and I can share more about what baptism is all about and what that means at, at College Park Church. And uh, so it's one of the most exciting uh, Sundays that we have. And so uh, that's coming up. So with that, uh, let's turn to God's Word here, First Timothy 6. And uh, we're going to be in verses 6 through 10. And then we're actually going to skip over and look at verses 17 through 19 uh, this morning, okay? So let's read uh, God's word together here. It says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Drop down to verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Let's pray together. God, we need your help this morning, Lord, as we turn to your word. God, we know it's alive and active. We we just need your help to make it alive in our hearts. And God, as we approach your word this morning and jump in, God, every area of our lives is on the table for you to inspect and to examine. God, we want to be a people that is truly all in for you, every area, including our finances. And so God, would you stir in our hearts, God, primarily a love for Jesus, a delight in Jesus. And Lord, out of that, would you create uh, generous hearts. And so we pray for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been in a uh, sermon series called All In, Making Our Passion uh, Practical. 
And this sermon series, as you've noticed, has not been primarily uh, about money. It's been about stewardship, of, of stewarding everything that we have, understanding that everything that we have has been first given uh, by God. If you remember the first week, we looked at some foundational principles of stewardship that really help us see that God does own it all, that nothing that we have is considered mine. It's all God's. And then the second week, we looked at generosity and the need to kind of kill the curl in our lives. We want to be open-handed with our, our generosity. And then last week, we examined how to redeem the time. We wrestled with whether we are serving or just surviving, whether we are living wisely or foolishly, and whether we are living strategically or aimlessly. And so today, in this final uh, message of our series, we're going to talk about money. And we have to. Like, I couldn't preach a, a series, a sermon series on stewardship and, and not talk about money. I wouldn't be serving you very well because the Bible, like it or not, has a lot to say uh, about money. And I want us to, to know before we jump in here that stewardship is not all about money, but money is all about stewardship. And look, I don't know what your past history or your past experience has been as it relates to money in uh, the church, but I just want to acknowledge the fact that there is a, a wide spectrum in our church as far as opinions and beliefs about the church and money. I just want to acknowledge that on the front end, that I'm sure some of us have been uh, perhaps burned by a former church that you gave generously and your former church maybe has uh, mishandled your money. And so there's a very low or lack of trust as it relates to money in the church. I'm sure others of you are probably thinking like, man, money, that's, that's mine. Like, that's a very personal thing. Like, pastor, you shouldn't be talking about money. This is, this is mine. Maybe others of you have a level of maybe embarrassment or shame as it relates to money because you're deep into debt. Maybe others of you are thinking to yourselves, I don't have a lot of money. Like, I don't know how this applies to me because I don't really have that much margin in my life. And maybe some of you are thinking, what does money have to do with Jesus? Like, can we just get to Jesus in the gospel? Like, why are you spending a whole sermon on, on money and how to steward our money? And then I'm sure some are thinking, yes, like, we do need to talk about money because if we're really following Jesus, that means that every area of our lives is on the table for him to look at. Every area of our life, we need to be all in for him. And so there, there's so many opinions, and I'm sure there's many more, a lot of maybe baggage that we bring into this room in talking about money in the form of a sermon. I, I just want to acknowledge that reality. And also, for those of you who have been burned by maybe former churches, I, I just want to say I am deeply sorry for that. that that's not the way that, that College Park wants to handle uh, your generosity and so on the front end, like, I, I'm sorry that that has happened. And I, I really just want to call you to the Bible this morning. I want, I want to call you to, to what Scripture has to say about the money that God has given us, because this is the authority. Like, the authority is not in my opinions. The authority is not in what you feel or what your past experiences has been as it relates to money in the church. This is the authority. And so I just want to take a look at what God has to say about money and remember, this whole series has been not what I want from you, but what I want for you. That generous giving is not starting with a need that Jesus has. 
It's not that God is in desperate need of of us to to give to him, but generous giving is much more about what God wants wants to give and do in you as we are generous. I also want to say that for, for maybe some of us, maybe even most of us, there might be a, a temptation throughout this sermon to think that this passage doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich, because I don't have a lot of money. So you'll, you'll probably be tempted during the sermon to just zone me out because you're not in this category. And yet, I, I wonder if you're more rich than you realize this morning. In fact, a, a recent survey of millionaires revealed that 55% of them, okay, 55% of millionaires did not consider themselves to be rich. Yeah, kind of hard to believe with that, right? Or, or is it? I mean, if you think globally, approximately 6 billion people live on less than $13,000 per year. And then nearly half of, of the total world's population, almost 3 billion people, live on less than $2 a day. In fact, if you had an income of $40,000 last year, you were in the richest 2% of the world's population. Okay, so on the front end here, I think it's safe to say that the definition of rich, that when Scripture talks about those who are rich, that that might apply to our church in a much broader way than we might even realize. Okay, so I think this passage is extremely applicable to every person in this room. Additionally, Money, finances, and, and what we do with it is one of the most practical ways that a follower of Jesus expresses his or her Christianity. Money, like time, is the thing or, or the place where our true passions and affections become clear. That how we handle our finances tells us a lot about where our true value lie. And so my aim today is for us to see really two things this morning that I want us to see on, on the front end the warning of money, really the, the danger of money. And we'll, we'll look at that in a moment here. And then number two, I, I want us to look at what does it mean to be all in with our finances? Like what does that actually look like? Okay, so that's where we're headed today. The first is the warning of money, the warning of money. Look at uh, verses uh, 9 and 10 uh, with me. And I, I want to start here with the warning of money so that we can see really the need, that we need a, a remedy as it relates to money and our finances. And I want you to focus on verses 9 and 10 about how quickly Paul goes right to the heart here. He goes right to our desires in these verses. He says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now notice that Paul used the word desire, used the word love, used the word cravings, but he also does not say that money in and of itself is evil. So if you have money, that that doesn't mean that that's sinful. It just depends on how you view it and how you are using it. But why does Paul target the heart here? Why does he go right into our desires and and, and our cravings? I think it's because Paul is helping us see that real change only occurs when we attack the root issue, which resides in our hearts and not just the symptoms. 
Like, I think, I think some of us, when we're talking about change, when we're talking about, about growing in our lives, sometimes we only attack the symptoms or the fruit in our lives and not the root issue. That we only go after kind of the symptoms, things that we see on the external and not the things in our hearts. Let me give you an example. If you're trying to, to grow and to, and to change and cut out sexual immorality in your life, and let's say that, that you're struggling with pornography, and you're trying to get rid of the pornography in your life, sometimes what we do is we only focus on the symptom of pornography. And so we say, okay, I need to get rid of my internet. I need to get rid of all of my uh, electronic devices. And when you don't focus on the root issue, which is really lust in the heart, what happens is that that root issue of lust will pop up in a different, in a different symptom. Maybe not in your search history on the internet, but lust will reveal itself in your thought life and how you view someone of the, of the opposite sex that walks by you in all kinds of other ways because you fail to actually attack the root issue. And you can apply that to all kinds of different areas of our lives. And in this passage, Paul will have nothing of that as it relates to money. He wants us to focus on the heart, which is the root issue, which is why Paul does not throw out a number for us to, to focus on and for us to give. He doesn't say in this passage, you need to give X amount and then you're generous. Or he doesn't say, if you have X amount of money, then you're sinful. No, Paul, first and foremost, he goes right to the heart because he knows that that is where the battle is won or the battle is lost. And in verse 9, Paul really shows us the result of a heart that has been hijacked by, by kind of the, the idolatrous desire of, of greed in our lives. In verse 9, I'm going to get to this in a moment, but, but Paul actually talks about and paints this downward spiral that occurs if, if you're someone that desires to be rich. And he points out three things there. But this desire to be rich, this is not the same thing as like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm craving Chipotle for lunch. I'm, I'm going to go get Chipotle. It's not the same type of desire of, of I desire to, to get dressed in the morning and put on clothes. No, this type of desire is, is a type of insatiable craving that then dictates your priorities, it dictates your behavior, and it dictates your affections. This type of desire kind of takes over your whole life. And what Paul wants to show us how, is just how incredibly powerful money can be when it's a motivator. It kind of reminds me of um, that TV show a few years ago called Anything for Money. And if you remember that TV show, it was all about um, people going up to random people on the streets. And they would say, hey, if, if you do this, and they would name something completely outrageous, I'll give you $50. And they'd go up to just random people, and they would, they would offer money to do just crazy stuff. And sometimes the person would respond, no, 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 no thanks. I'm not going to do it for $50. And so then they would say, well, what about $100? You do it for $100. And they'd say, uh, maybe. No, no, I still wouldn't do that. Okay, $200. And then they would say, okay, I'll do it for $200. And the whole show was really to reveal how easily money can be a motivator in our lives and can actually dictate and change our behavior. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here in this passage, that if you are a lover of money, if you prioritize money to kind of define your worth and, and to define who you are as a person, then that's going to show up in your behavior and in this downward spiral. Okay, so let me point out three things that Paul says will happen 
if you have this idolatrous desire to be rich, that number one, verse nine, that you'll fall into temptation. You'll fall into uh, temptation. Paul says that they'll fall into something, okay? Now, falling, if you've ever uh, fallen before, it, it completely takes you off guard. Like, you don't plan to fall, right? It just, just kind of comes out of nowhere. Well, same thing happens with this desire to be rich, that you're trying to earn money, and then all of a sudden, you, you've fallen into these three things. And the first thing is temptation, which is not a good thing. Like, we, we would never read that for anything else in our lives and say, oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's a good thing. We should take money lightly. No, no, he says you're going to fall into temptation, meaning that what, what this desire for money does is it causes us to look in directions in which we may, may never have looked otherwise. That unlike contentment, when you're greedy, you're always looking for more that your eyes are kind of open and you're searching, which opens you up to more temptation and being lured into sinful behavior and sinful uses of money. That desire to be rich, it pulls you into environments and opportunities to sin. And yet not only that, Paul also says, not just temptation, but the next step in the downward spiral is being trapped. Okay, verse 9 says, but those who desire to be rich they fall into temptation, into a snare. And that same Greek word can be translated as trap. And so they not only fall into temptation, where they've opened themselves up to all kinds of opportunities to sin, but Paul uses this idea of being trapped. Like, does, that, does that resonate with you this morning? Like, have you, have you experienced that type of downward spiral in your own life as it relates to, to wanting to be wealthy or wanting to be, to be rich? That this idea of being trapped, it, it kind of makes sense when you think about the fact that as you're trying to be rich, you're trying to be financially stable, and you're trying to build these walls of, of security, that those walls actually end up becoming a cage in your heart because you're never satisfied. That when you're filled with this desire for more, it's almost like you're running this rat race. Or you're on a treadmill where you're working hard, earning money, but you're not going anywhere. Your heart wants more and more and more, and it almost feels like you're trapped with this desire to be rich. And then number three, so not only temptation, not only this idea of, of being trapped, but Paul says that the destination of this is actually destruction. Look at verse 9. He says, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. See here, Paul says very clearly how this desire, this almost this gateway drug that money can create, it has its final destination as ruin and destruction. In fact, that word plunge there, it, it's, it's just, it speaks of the power of this desire for money. This word was used to speak of a boat that was sinking into the sea. So this is really a graphic word that, that pictures these desires as weights that drag a person down into the sea of despair and sin, and they drown him. And the ruin and the, the destruction, this refers to kind of the eternal condition of one who has put their trust in money and not in Jesus. Because what Jesus said in Matthew 6, it says you cannot serve both money and God. Yep. Paul doesn't just stop there. He doesn't end in verse 9. He moves on to, to verse 10. And he uses verse 10. Really, he supplies the reason why verse 9 is true 
when he gives us verse 10. Look at it with me. Paul says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So why does, why does Paul, what, what does he mean when he says that the love of money is a, is a root of all kinds of evils? I think Paul's point here is, is yes, he's reiterating verse 9, and he's doing so by showing us that what you love will impact how you live, that the passions in your heart will become practical, that the cravings in your soul will be seen in how you live with your time and your money. And so here specifically, Paul is saying that if you love money, if you desire money, then that can be a root that then produces all kinds of of fruits of evil and sin in your life. And look, we know this to be true. We may have experienced this in our own lives, or we may have seen this in other people, that when you love money, it can produce all kinds of sin in your life. It can produce the sin of envy. It can produce the sin of greed, of, of being deceitful. It can wreck relationships and marriages. It can cause all kinds of, of emotional unhealthiness. It can produce, obviously, idolatry. It can take you away from many opportunities to do good. This love of money is a dangerous thing and Paul said, Paul's giving us a warning here not, not to play with the idea of money lightly. And he says it's through this love, this craving, this insatiable desire that some have even left the faith. Man, when you read that, like, that is a strong warning. And it makes sense. Like, you can't be a lover of money and yet read the, read the words of Jesus that says, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow after him. The two don't go hand in hand. And so this, this warning that, that Paul lays out here is even consistent with Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. And look, I don't know if you can pick up on the tone in this passage, but the tone that, that Paul is laying out here for us is that money is extremely dangerous. This idea of, of money just kind of being this thing that we're loose with, that we can pursue money, we can go after all of these things without having safeguards in our, in our lives is actually foolish. And it's amazing when you think about the type of posture, the type of intentionality, the type of of game planning that we have with all kinds of other temptations and sins in our lives. And then you compare that to what we do with money, it's outrageous. Like we never talk about money. We, We hardly ever, when we're discipling somebody, talking about how are your finances, like, we, we go after all kinds of, how's your marriage? How's, how's your sexual purity? How's your time in the word? How's your, but, but what about money here? And Paul is kind of putting this on our radar that money is extremely dangerous. He says the pursuit of money is like this baited hook. It's a concealed trap. It's, it's a sinking ship. That there are appetites in our flesh that are, that are unleashed when the eye of our hearts is focused on money that it leads people to actually walk away from Jesus. So Paul says it's through this love, it's through this craving that presents money as as a danger. Now, the question that I have for us this morning is like, how do you know if if you're a lover of money? Like, sure, you need some money for for necessities. Like, like you're you're working, you're making money. So how do you know when you've tipped over and, and money is starting to become an idol in your life? I just want to point out four warning signs for us 
four warning signs that, that could show you that you're going down a path where you're becoming more of a slave to money and more of a lover of money. Here's number one, is that your happiness is dependent on how much money you have. That your level of, of happiness is dependent on that number that's in your bank account. Your happiness is dependent on, on how well the stock market is, is doing that day. Or maybe on the flip side, that your mood might plummet depending on the stock market or depending on what happens with your income at work. Or maybe even put it this way, that if you've noticed that getting a raise at work or getting a bonus, that that level of happiness and joy, if it's lower than the level of joy and satisfaction that you get when you think about Jesus, like that might, that might be a really good indicator that, that you're going down a path of becoming a lover of money. Number two here is that anxiety and envy feel at home in your heart. What I mean by this is that when, when you're a lover of money, you want more of it. And the more that you have, uh, the more uh, anxiety tends to fill your heart because you're anxious about losing it. Like you want to hold on to that and you want more and more of it. And so your heart begins to be filled with worry and anxiety. Do I, do I have enough? Can I reach this standard? Can I? And, and you become anxious about losing the money or about earning more. And then envy can, can slip into your heart because when you love money and, and you have money, you want more of money, it's so easy to slip into that comparison game where you start comparing how much money do I have versus the Joneses and so you start kind of comparing, and so envy can creep in, and even, and even covetousness can creep into your heart when you become a lover of money. Number three here, another, another indicator is that you are not giving generously towards the things of God. That when you look at the way that you use your money, the way that you spend your money, you might invest your money in the present. You might invest your money in the future, but are you investing your money in eternity? And what I mean by that is, is when you invest your money in the present, you're, you're spending money, right? But if you invest your money in the future, you're, you're saving money. But investing your money in eternity is giving generously to the things of God, whether that's to the local church or, or a parachurch organization or other gospel-centered ministries. And if you notice in your spending habits that your spending and saving are high, but you're giving generously to the things of God is low, then that's a really good indicator that your heart is becoming a lover of money and really a slave to money. And the last thing here is that your giving uh, is joyless. Your giving is joyless. That if you notice that when you do give to the things of God, again, that could be local church or other, other ministries outside of the church. If you notice that, that, that your giving is is not being filled with joy when you give. There's not a cheerfulness. There's not kind of a, a satisfaction or, or it's more filled with dread or it's more filled with I'm just giving out of obligation or I'm being motivated by guilt. Then chances are you're going down this path of, of becoming a lover of money, especially when you buy that new car or that new toy and your heart is filled with joy and happiness, but not when you give uh, to the things of God. It is amazing how, how easily we have separated this idea of finances from discipleship. Like when I was preparing for this message, it just like dawned on me, like 
how dangerous it is to separate the idea of money from spiritual growth. This idea of, of when we're discipling somebody, we're holding someone accountable who, who has a lust issue. Like, you're most likely, uh, as you pour into that person, you're most likely checking their search history on their internet. Like, you're, you're trying to keep that person accountable. You're trying to pour yourself into them. And, and so, why don't we use that same measure in our finances and checking on people's spending habits, saving habits, and, and giving habits as it relates to growing into Christ-likeness. And there's a lot that's revealed in a person's heart by, by what they do with their finances. That their marriage might be solid, they might be sharing the gospel, they might be growing in all these other areas, but their idol might be money. They, they've got their hands like this as it relates to their finances. And so if you're in a discipleship relationship or a small group or or even um, moms and dads, you lose your family, you're talking to your kids about what it means to grow. Finances has to be on the table as it relates to growing into Christ's likeness. And really, the reason for that is because Jesus talked a lot about money. Like when you stop and you think about all of the verses, all of the passages that deal with money and possessions, let me just highlight a few, uh, a few stats for you. That 16 of the 38 parables given by Jesus we're concerned about how to handle money and possessions. But in the Gospels alone, one, or one out of 10 verses, so 288 verses total, deal directly with the subject of money. Just context sake here that the Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. And yet in our discipleship and in our small groups, we are dangerously silent about this topic. We are so, so quiet about money, and we feel like it's not an area that we can speak into people's lives with because it's too personal. And when we carry out that mindset, then we're, we're violating one of the foundational principles of stewardship of everything that we have is not mine. Everything we have is, is God's. So this is, this is extremely dangerous, that money is not just a stewardship issue, but money has the potential to do great harm to your soul. That money can become a currency of corruption because it's like a trap that's leading you into all kinds of sin. And Paul is warning us to be careful, to be on guard as it relates to money and how we view it. Okay, so that's the warning. That's, that's the danger related to money. Uh, now I want us to look at what does it mean to, to be all in with our money? Okay, now, I wanted to start with the danger, with the warning, because I, I wanted us to kind of lean in and, and think, wow, this is, it. This is an issue. Like, I, I can't mess around with this. Like, the tone here, like, you can actually walk away from Jesus by being loose with money and your desires. I want to elevate that so then we can start thinking, okay, what's the remedy? What's the answer as it relates to money? Okay, I want to point out two things with our time that we have left here. Two things. The first principle is in verses 6 uh, through uh, 8 here. And the first principle is having a godly contentment. Godly contentment. Let's read verses 6 through 8. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. And so, uh, this first principle here that we see of, of what it means to be all in with our money is having a godly contentment. Now, it's interesting. When you read that verse, like, 
why does he put godliness with contentment? Like, like why, why that combination? Have you ever thought about why he adds godliness with contentment in this verse? Well, I think it's because the only way to be content is when you're first godly. See, godliness is, is basically your pursuit of becoming more and more satisfied with Jesus. And as a result, you become and look more and more like Jesus. And so contentment is, is being satisfied with what you already have. That if you truly are content, you are training yourself to ask really, really difficult questions before you purchase something or before you pursue something. Let me just throw out a couple of questions that people who are content tend to ask themselves before they purchase or pursue something. They ask questions like, do I really need that? Or am I looking to purchase this because I want it to fulfill me? Am I pursuing this or purchasing this to elevate myself among my peers? Could I use this money not to save or spend, but could I use this money to invest in eternity? There's a level of discipline and training that a heart that's content goes through because they are actually godly. They're pursuing Jesus. In other words, I think Paul includes godliness with contentment because the only way to ask yourself those questions is if you're first satisfied with Jesus. The only way to be truly content is, with, is if you can honestly answer in your heart that Jesus is all that I need. Jesus is all that I want. Let me unpack that a little bit more. Like when your heart, when your heart understands how incredibly satisfying and fulfilling that Jesus is, it reconfigures the cravings of your heart. Like when your heart understands all that Jesus went through to purchase your freedom, to purchase your salvation, it completely changes and reorients the desires of your hearts. Like when you understand that Jesus is yours and you are his, you understand that your eternal destiny is secure. You understand that, that every spiritual blessing in Christ is yours already. That completely changes how you view the things of this world, especially money. Like when you understand that everything that you could want or need is found in Jesus, that changes your approach to looking to the things of this world to fulfill you in ways that only Jesus can. It reminds me of, of the 17th century uh, philosopher Pascal. Who, who talked about our, our basic problem in life is that each of us have been created with this God-sized hole in our hearts. And what we do throughout life is, is we try to fulfill that hole in our hearts with all kinds of other things besides Jesus. We get this God-shaped hole, and, and we're trying to fulfill it with relationships, trying to fill it with a successful career and, and having a, 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 enough money and all of these things. And, and those things won't fulfill that, that, that hole in your heart, only Jesus can. And so the pathway to becoming content is by first being satisfied with Jesus, by, fulfill, by filling your heart with him. And look, I, that's kind of the big question this morning. Like the question for you is, is are you truly satisfied with Jesus? Because it impacts your relationship with money and contentment. It's very similar to to, to what I do, what I'm like when I go to the grocery store when I'm hungry compared to when I'm not hungry, okay? Like when I go to the grocery store and I'm hungry, like 
My wife gives me a list, like, you need to get some onions and oranges and, and some apples. And, and I come back with, like, bags full of, like, Sour Patch Kids and barbecue chips and all of these extra items because I went in there and I'm, and I'm hungry. And so I'm going through these different aisles in the store. I'm like, oh, that looks good. This looks good. Man, I'm hungry. That, yeah. And so I'm just filling my cart up with all of these extra items because I didn't come in already satisfied. And I think the same is so true in our own lives, especially spiritually. Like if you walk through the aisles of this world and your heart isn't first and foremost satisfied with Jesus, there's no way you're going to be content. You're going to look at all of these other things and you're going to drop them in the cart of your life because you're not first and foremost satisfied with Jesus. <laughs> so look, are you really satisfied with Jesus Christ today? Like, like, on, like really satisfied with, where you can sing that song that we sang today, Everything that you need is found in him. Everything that you could ever want is in Jesus. Is that true of you? Or are you living a different life where it's Jesus plus something else? Where it's Jesus plus that, that number that's in my bank account? Or Jesus plus all of these new toys and cars and big house and all of those things to fulfill you? Or is it Jesus that satisfies the longings in your soul? Because look, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, look, you brought nothing into this world. You're not going to bring anything out of this world. But the only thing you'll bring out of this world is your intimacy and your relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, the hard truth of it is that I'm I'm sure there's going to be some people that walk into heaven and they can't recognize Jesus. I'm sure some people are going to walk into heaven and they're going to be like, where's Jesus? I don't even know, what does he look like? What's Jesus like? Because they spent their whole lives invested in making money, purchasing the next big thing, chasing the next thing, and they didn't spend their lives here on earth pursuing Jesus and that intimacy and that satisfaction with him. That might be an option. Or or those people might be the people in Matthew 7 that, that Jesus was referring to when he says that on that day, the last day, there will be people that come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, look, look at all the good things that I've done for you that I've done A, B, and C, now let me into heaven. And Jesus is going to say to them, away from me, I never knew you. I'm sure there's going to be some people that walk up to Jesus and say, Jesus, look look at my church attendance. Look at the Bible studies I went through. Look at all these things that I've done for you. Now now let me in. And I wonder if if Jesus is going to say to those people, look, away from me, I never knew you. You never knew me. Because look, if I knew you and you knew me, you would have known what I would want you to use how to use your money in this life, that you would have used all of the resources that I entrusted with you completely differently. You would have used your time differently. You would have used your relationships and the resources and the money and all the gifts that I've given you differently if you would have known me and I would have known you. Some people are going to be fooled and deceived on that day because they thought they could live a type of Christianity where it's Jesus plus something else. Like you're in this room this morning because you believe Jesus offers the salvation for your soul. But are you slipping in a Jesus and in your life that's sneaking into your heart and hijacking the throne in your heart? And look, money is one of the the sneakiest things in this life. Like I want to be a pastor that loves you well. I want to be a pastor that cares for your soul well. And so, look, I know this is hard, but I do not want you to be deceived with money. 
or, or anything else in this world, that you can live a type of, of life of Jesus plus something else and, and fill in the blank, and especially with money, it is extremely dangerous, especially as we live out this type of American Christianity that doesn't want to say so. And so we need to be, uh, have a godly contentment in our lives. But number two here, the second thing that we need is we need to, to participate in, in generous giving, in generous giving. Look with me at verses 17 through 19. I want to I show you a principle here that, that Paul emphasize. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, that they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And so in verses 17 through 19, Paul shows us really the result of godly contentment. He describes in in these verses one who is generously giving, being rich in good works, and storing up treasures in heaven. So I want you to think about it this way, that if contentment is the attitude we need to have, then generous giving is the action. Let me highlight verse 18 specifically. He commands the wealthy, which is all of us, that they are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. In other words, that the way to demonstrate if you're truly content is by giving generously, that you're ready to share, ready to do good works by giving. And this is what, this is what giving generously does to us, that giving generously is really the remedy to, to having a self-absorbed spending in your life. That giving generously really is the answer to being a slave and a servant to money. Giving generously is the medicine to a heart that's finding its worth and in, in, in how much one has. That giving generously, it, it's an assault on the unbiblical but default mindset that many have that everything that I have is mine and not God's. Like giving generously is, is really, it's one of the greatest ways to, to demonstrate that you actually believe in the gospel. And there's nothing more practical to show your belief in Jesus than how you spend your money and your level of, of generosity. See, what happens when, when you give generously, you actually create a gap in your life. Like when you, when you give something away, whether it's possessions or, or money, you no longer can have that. And so if you have a need in the future, that money can no longer help you. And so there's, there's a gap in your life. And yet someone who is, who's generously giving, who believes that God can fulfill every one of my needs, believes that God can fill that gap. That God, who, who doesn't lack any type of resource, will come through and he will flex his own generosity and his own power and his own grace in your life by fulfilling that gap. And so some of us, we don't give generously because we're scared of that gap, which demonstrates that you might put your hope more in your money and in your resources than in the God who can meet and enrich you in every single way. See, sometimes I, I just wonder if God doesn't give people more money because he knows that they're, they're not going to give more, but they're going to spend or save more. 
Like if, if you were God and, and, and you looked at your own giving, would you give yourself more money? Like in how much you give, are, are, you, are you creating a gap in your life for God to come through and not only use your generosity to bless others, but for God to show you how sovereign, how big, how great, and how generous he is to you as he enriches you in every way. So there's a level of, of generous giving that, that does way more than just meet a need, but it, it does something to your own heart. And so look, this whole sermon series, this has been more about not, not, not what I want from you, but what I want for you. And as you give more, especially in the area of money, you, you see God just show up in your life and bless you in ways that, that, you, that you wouldn't have before because your hands go from this to this. Like you, you say, God, take anything, take it all. It's all yours anyways. And you, and you see God take things and bless other people, but you also see God put things into your life that wouldn't have been there. Look, not just financially, but God enlarges your heart of compassion. He enlarges your heart for the kingdom of God. He enlarges your heart for contentment. He's putting things in your life that, that minister to your heart and to your soul. Because before then, when your heart's like this, on money or whatever it is, you're looking to the things in your hand to fulfill you. And, and look, you've got a God-sized hole that only God can fulfill. So godly contentment, generous giving, that's the remedy to being a lover of money. And as we close this morning, I just want to give you just a, a few practical action steps this morning that if you're wondering, okay, like we're talking about money, we're talking about giving, but, but what does this look like practically? Like it's, it's still kind of general up here. Let me just give you a couple of pra- practical action steps as we close this morning. So here's number one. I want to encourage you to include giving into your discipleship. So when you're thinking about pouring into someone's spiritual, many of you are, or you're in a small group, or, or you're, you're, you're talking about it in, in your home, include giving into the area of what it means to grow spiritually. Don't, don't allow finances to be kind of an untouched arena in your life. But look at, at your finances as an area of your life that people can speak into and help you grow because it's so connected to your heart and what you love. Number two here, another action step is to create more margin in your life to give more. That money is so incredibly powerful, we, we, can't, we can't be loose spenders or loose savers. Money is so powerful that, that we need to be very disciplined in our spending. So I encourage you to, to make a budget. Make a budget, not necessarily to spend more, but make a budget to create more margin to give more, whether that's the local church or to other ministries outside of the church. And so we've, we've got resources even here at this church or at the main campus. We've got financial advisors that would love to give free counsel, that would love to, to kind of show you how, how do I make a budget. I've never done that before. Just to create more margin in your life to give more. Number three here is to take one step. Okay, like, like take one practical step of becoming a more generous giver in, uh, in your life. And, and this could look in all kinds of different ways, that if you're not in the habit of giving weekly or bi-weekly, that, that life-giving habit, start today, whether here or outside of the church, just get into that habit of giving more. Or as you receive your, your tax uh, refund this spring, look at that money and decide, should we give half of it away? Should we invest it in, in other things, not just save it, not just spend it, but should we give it away? Because we know it might create a gap, 
but we want to see God come through. We want to see God's blessing in our lives. More often than not, I just I wonder if, if God doesn't give us more blessing just to increase our standard of living, but I wonder if he blesses us to increase our standard of giving. So as you think as the Lord blesses you and, and grows your income, think about it not as a way to increase my spending, but to increase my giving. And the last thing here, most important, focus on your heart. Like, this is so important. Like, don't give out of guilt. Don't give out of greed. Don't, don't give out of this comparison game or, or coveting or whatever. Give out of a heart that is centered on Jesus. So your heart is filled with joy and you have a cheerfulness when you give. Remember two weeks ago when we talked about how motives matter? Guilt, greed, or grace Focus on your heart first and foremost, because that's where the battle is won or where it's lost. And so this morning, as we, as we look to close this morning, I, we're going to give you about 30 to 60 seconds, maybe even longer. And, and we just want to give you some time and space. And, and just to consider, like this whole sermon series, like we've hit so many different topics. Like we've hit stewardship, we've hit time, we've hit our whole life, our calling, we've hit money and generosity. So many different things have been like, place on the table. And so this morning as we close, I just I want to encourage you to just open yourself up to what the Lord might have for you. Maybe there's one area that God really pressed in on you, and he wants you to focus on that area. Maybe it's how you use your time. Maybe it's your gifts. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your resource. Maybe it's your heart. And, and just, to, just to be quiet for the next 60 seconds and just say, God, speak to me. God, move in me. God, I want to become more like Jesus. This might be an area of your life you need to repent of and confess to him. But just to take that area and, and write it down. Write it down in your bulletin, in your journal, wherever. But write it down. Ask God, God, speak to me so that I can actually take a step today of going all in. Saying, Jesus, you're worth it. Jesus, you spilled your blood for me. So every area of my life is yours.